0: Morning everyone, it's Mickey here, you are listening to another bonus episode of Wikipedia This time I am talking to my mate Professor Grant Schofield, who has been on the podcast twice already, in fact he was my very first interview, and I am fortunate enough that he has joined me at the sports medicine conference here on the Big Island. Not that he's going, because he's just bunking off, however... We take the opportunity to chat about his athlete Matt Kerr, who is definitely an up and coming uh, age grouper who did uh, grant talks about it in our uh, in our conversation i believe eight twenty four or eight twenty seven Uh, at Ironman, took out the age group race there in New Zealand and now he's here to see what he can do on the world stage. So look, those of you who know Grant know his nutrition philosophy isn't mainstream and we talk about the nutrition protocol that he's used with Matt and Matt has done over the last few years to really help develop his metabolic efficiency and his ability to go longer and go faster. So we really do a deep dive and we talk all of the diet and nutrition strategy stuff. We also talk about what grants did to get himself in shape to run with me on the island, and so we kick off with that actually, and that's um, a super fun conversation. The Schofield Protocol, we will call that. Not that either Grant or I are endorsing that at this stage. Uh, we rounded off with basically a little bit of Grant's philosophy on what it takes to be a high performer and have a high performing life, you know, and if. I appreciate so much of what Grant has to say on a number of topics and particularly in his mindset around uh, not just performing and training but just actually in life in general. Um, I always get a lot from chatting to Grant about that and essentially it's like you're sitting down as a fly on the wall. Um, listening to, it, uh, to the things that we talk about every day. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation that I have with Professor Grant Schofield. No,
1: I think it's fine.
0: Okay, that's cool. Professor Schofield?
1: Mickey Willing and hello.
0: Hello. Do you know, I think it's been almost... So you've been on my podcast twice before.
1: And this is my third time.
0: This is your third time around the same time. Because I had you, you, my very first interview. Then you came on about a year ago, and I recently actually had some feedback on your podcast interview, the Mandates one. Someone was just going through them and went, oh, came across that uh, Grant Schofield interview. That was great.
1: Right, and we've moved on, though, from that, like, because we're, we're done with COVID, and we're in a brave new world.
0: And not only are we in a brave new world, we're in
1: Hawaii. Yeah, we're in Kona. This is race week yep. uh, of the... Uh, I'm in Triton World Championships, and it's an event that I was last here for to race myself 25 years ago. Amazing. And I'm so pumped to be in this atmosphere and uh, yeah, really am lapping it up.
0: I was chatting to my mate Rob Daly who I spoke to a couple of days ago actually, and just said that Grant will absolutely be living his best life.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely fizzing. Yeah. Uh, it's been so interesting since I've been in Hawaii. We did a two week training camp in Maui. Yeah. Uh, With some athletes before this as well. So I've been sleeping well. Yeah. I've been getting up early. I'm not normally a morning person. I've been exercising myself. I've just been absolutely fizzing. See, it's amazing. I feel so good, so energized. And yeah, it's
0: just. Do you know, so Grant, we went for a run this morning and uh, it was great. And I, and what made me, la- a couple of things made me laugh. One was uh, two or three months ago, we were talking about running together in Hawaii, and you said, Oh, I better get fit for it. Yeah. And for me to subsequently find you did, in fact, get fit for it. Yeah. And went on a bit of a regime in order to get yourself fit to run with me. And <laughs> I would love to. You still drop me, though. Y- yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, but that was, if I would say, no, I'm not going to say that was always going to happen because that's <laughs> not true. Um, but, you know. Agent stage.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was always going to happen. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, so I think the interesting thing, I was through the whole COVID thing for the first two years of it, I was an absolute weapon. I was training, my eating was great. Uh, and then the last six months of that two and a half years, uh, just to show everyone out there that even the people who live this stuff day to day, I really lost my way. Uh, I was working a lot from home and found the refrigerator early. I found it late. I uh, found it in the middle of the day as well. So I was finding it a lot, mm. and uh, the incidental activity that I would often accumulate as well wasn't there. And I um, put on a reasonable amount of weight.
2: Yeah. And
1: I guess this trip and having to run with you motivated me, but also um, just the fact that I'm a bit, of, bit tight. And you know, I was actually going to have to go and buy new clothes. You know, oh. like new underwear and stuff, yeah. which is Seemed a bit wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I felt I needed to get down from... I'd crept up to 93 kilos, and I thought I'd get back down to my more of my uh, race weight of 83, which I managed to do.
0: Yeah, you're usual. So we were running this morning, and when you told me that, I just couldn't even believe it, actually, just because your physique was exactly the Grant Schofield that I remembered from the years, because we used to run together all of the time. Yeah,
1: back when I could smash you. Yeah, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 yeah, so you know, I, you know, I needed to get down. Uh, I'm not sure if you agree with my approach, cause, but I did take some of your protein-sparing things, but I went for a, My regime was this. It was a, uh, a couple of months of a couple of weeks of just preparing myself mentally.
0: Yeah. Uh, what did that to, look like?
1: Uh, know, just thinking about things and realizing that I was, you know, I'm a real fan of the choose your hard bit.
0: Yes. I'd, I'd rather go
1: hard than easy. You know, I'd yeah. rather have big, fast, he- heavy changes in diet rather than small changes. Yeah. And so did a week of three meals a day keto, no snack, no alcohol. Yeah. Uh, just to get me in the groove. Then I uh, cracked into a five-day water-only fast. Yeah. And I usually do one of those a year anyway, so it was yeah. you know, more for immune function and well-being. Yeah. Uh, and then, then, I finished with that, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll. I'm interested in carnivore at the moment, so I went carnivore for the rest of that month, which is three weeks. Yeah. Uh, so was, was your
0: carnivore just meat, or was it eggs uh, as uh, well? Meat,
1: meat, eggs. Yeah. Cheese. Yeah. Fish. Yeah, nice. Uh, butter. Yeah. Salt. Yeah, cool. Uh, I felt amazingly good actually, and the weight was really coming off really rapidly. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of that month, I transitioned into a pre-cure three-week program. Yeah. Um, which is more of a sort of healthy eating behavioral one. So uh, lowish carb, whole food. Yeah. And no alcohol. And so over that two-month period, I managed to drop. 10 kilos off um, got back to fit all my clothes amazing um, which was a real relief
0: yeah
1: and uh, <laughs> shape. And, and even when you dropped me this morning i, I was i started to have some negative thoughts it's like oh you know you'd already do so and mickey's thrashing and then i was like hey oh, hang, hang on uh cool. you're living your best life here and you you got in shape for this and you're in kona and so we we're heading up a hill then so i just went even harder yeah, no. Nice. Burnt the only match I had left. <laughs> and uh and then, then then you disappeared on me. But yeah, it's it great. So it's been a good journey for that. Uh I've probably done this twice before in my life. Mm. Somehow I'm usually pretty good at with weight and uh health and stuff, you know, it's what I live, but you know, a couple of other times in my life I've just lost track of it for various reasons and yeah. um I've needed that hard reset. And it, that might not be everyone's cup of tea, but it, it certainly has worked for me in the past. Um, and I expect I should be at this weight now for a, a, at least the next few years.
0: Well, uh, I think when I met you, actually, Grant, yeah. you were at, in the, at the cusp of making this sim- a similar change.
1: Yeah, I was blaming that, and I think that's probably almost 20 years ago now. Just to yeah. put that in context, I, um, I was suffering uh, post-birth weight gain.
0: That's right. Um Even
1: though I wasn't a woman it's uh, right, because
0: yeah. it was actually, because Danny had just been
1: born. Yeah, Sam, my uh, oldest one, and Jackson, yeah, so and Danny's who's 12. So, no, they, they, they'd been born, and I don't know, it's just a that rapid change in lifestyle, you yeah. know, being used to just doing whatever the hell I wanted when I wanted. Yeah. I think anyone who's had a you know, new family, oh, this is 20 years ago for me now, so... Uh, you'll know that 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 becomes much more difficult and um, life's not about you so much anymore, which is a good thing, Mm. but yeah.
0: Just change. You know, interesting what you say about that hard and fast reset. Just a couple of things come to mind. One is that people mistake the sort of sustainability of uh, weight loss in that... They think that if you do something hard and fast, then it's impossible to sustain. And that's actually not been borne out in literature. It's actually just one of those things that people believe, like, oh, the faster you lose it, the quicker you'll put it back, the more unsustainable that approach is going to be. Whereas, actually, a lot of people respond really well and are really motivated by those resets and by the quick changes because Mm -hmm. the win that they get is enough to spur motivation that then turns to actual behaviour
1: change. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think I think it depends on the person, but you know, one thing that's really stuck in my mind for years now is uh, when I was supervising Cliff Harvey, Dr. Cliff Harvey, who's really a guru in this nutrition space, much so, more so than me, uh, he was doing some keto adaptation, keto flu studies, with mainly women in this little trial, and... Uh, I somehow I talked him into doing some focus groups and qualitative work which he now swears he'll never do again Yeah. but I, I helped him with that and I, I just recall a couple of things with the sustainability, we had interviewed one woman who really had no symptoms with keto, she did okay on it, felt felt, felt okay felt a bit better than before and we said he' going to go on with it and she was like meh you know well, I don't know. Uh and Another woman who, who had just terrible symptoms, horrific. In fact, we were appalled that she didn't contact us or pull out of the study. Yeah. Um, she had a couple of uh, uh, preschool children. She was basically bedridden for a weekend where her two kids were just running uh, on the loose around the house. Um, she was felt terrible. She eventually came through that keto flu and rebounded. It felt pretty good. Yeah. She said, do you think you'll carry on with this? And we said, oh, hell yeah, for the effort I've put in,
2: there's no yeah. way I'm going to give up now. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. And so I don't know about that sort of choose your hard yeah. stuff. Of that, for some people, actually helps them with sustainability. Yeah. I, I also remember there's another doctoral student of mine, Lucy Hone, who, who's really a well-being and mental health expert now, a real hero in that space. And I just remember one time uh, talking to her. She goes, it's taken me so much effort to get into shape over the last three months. There's no way I'm letting this go. You know, the pain yeah. of it almost made it more likely she was going to carry on. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. And I think it would be really good to investigate that more and who that applies to. And maybe it's different personality types and maybe some people are much better with small, subtle changes and a consistent approach. Yeah. Um, and some people are better off just going hard and we just don't know enough about that personalization yet.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because the, the more uncomfortable you feel you know, if we think about stress in the body and the brain, like I wonder if there's more changes in the brain that occur with the more, um, of the high level of discomfort.
1: Yeah, and and the there's a lot at the moment in the sort of more popular literature, things like the comfort crisis and yes. Um, uh, my friend Paul Taylor in Australia just published a book called Death by Comfort. Ah, and uh, I wanted to. I'm supposed to be writing one at the moment. I'm a study leave that I hadn't actually been doing. Uh, or might have to not tell our UT about that. Um, <laughs> but the book I wanted to write was originally going to be called Comfortably Numb, sort of because I'm a Pink Floyd fan and it was around uh, mental health and the fact we're not getting enough stress. Yeah. Uh, I probably want to call that now, Choose Your Hard, Yes. Uh, and the sort of idea of a new view of medicine that I think you'd call hormetic medicine, Yeah. which is the idea that... that you know stress, whether it be uh, lack of nutrient stress or exercise stress or psychological stress, is essential for health. Mm. This is the thing that confers health mm. because it allows uh, what we are an adaptive system to uh, experience discomfort experience discomfort and then respond by building up stronger. Yeah. Um, this is what cold Water immersion does. This is what sauna does through different mechanisms and myokines and you know brown fat and these types of things. This is what exercise does through you know, other routes. This is what controlled psychological stress does, and we mistake that for chronic uncontrollable stress, which of course has you know it's like going for a, a, a hundred mile run yeah. with no training. I mean, what's that going to do? It's going to it's going to end badly, right? So I guess we can think about that. Um, yeah, a, a view of medicine which takes into account of building up us, the human, the terrain to be more robust. Yeah. Uh, another book I've been reading on that, The, the Coddling of the American Mind.
0: Ah, uh, Rob Lustig? Is
1: no, it? it's it's actually, I can't remember the authors, but it's, a, it's an interesting book. It's just going, you know, this... This psychological distress issue that we've seen, and in New Zealand we've seen this as well, right? So uh, we had 5% of people having, you know, on this K-10 measure of psychological distress, distress at any one time, and then that doubled over 10 years to 10%. Yeah. In the next 10 years to 2020, it doubled to 20% of us at any one time have psychological distress. And who knows what that is post-COVID. And you're like, well, is there more stress out there or we're we less robust at, yeah. at handling stress. And I think both, there's maybe, you know, depending on the person, both are true.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but there's certainly a factor we're not talking about. Why are we, and the sort of prevention cure and mental health and physical health, that, that uh, we tend towards robustness if we're yeah. exposed to stress. Yeah. And and that Nassim Tlaib's book, Anti-Fragile, is about that. You know, you had to invent a word. Yeah. To say this is this is what biological systems, including humans, are designed for, right? Stress—they're um, not just resilient; they don't just build back to where they were. They build back stronger, and I just think we're completely missing that in modern medicine.
0: Well, it's interesting if we talk about psychological distress and mental health, because obviously the government—not just this government, but other governments—have you know put a lot of money into. Uh, dealing or solving mental health issues in New Zealand but it's all on the treatment side of things it's all counselling it's all and I'm not suggesting that this stuff isn't um worthwhile and isn't necessary but like most things in public health it's not at that sort of you know like the ideas that you're talking about you know becoming more resilient and being able to deal with stress through the types of things that you just mentioned never gets a look in, basically.
1: Well, I mean, I think about it like this, right? Imagine you've got a bunch of 12-year-olds and you go, hey, kids, we're going to send you um, running around this cross-country course that goes over this hill, around this hillside, down this rocky area, and, and, back. and they all come back with cut feet.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, because it turns out there's glass on the course, and actually some of the uh, rocky areas, they just never wear bare feet, so they're not used to that. And then you go, well, the only solution for this is to keep running them around that course, but we need more doctors and nurses at the end with, <laughs> with, with stitching up equipment and things to fix their bloodied feet.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I mean, it would make no sense. It's just, we'll keep sending them around the course, but, you know, yeah. we won't clear up the grass and we'll never put them in barefoot any other time so their feet are, are, are soft and prone to cuts and, and the hazards we won't remove. That's uh, such a good. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't do that. I mean, no. You, okay, we'll stick. we we'll just we just need more people to fix up the cuts. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's fundamentally stupid. But, but that's what we're doing in mental health. Yeah. Um, we don't we remove obstacles so people can't be robust. Yeah. Um, and we lift hazards. Yeah. Uh, things that are you know traumatic and, and other things on the course basically, and we don't. But then we just need more psychologists and psychiatrists that need to talk about it. Like, I I'm mean, absolutely nonsensical stuff.
0: yeah how however one so one thing I know that you're doing with precure is you've actually you've worked with other experts as well to develop a course to help coach people coach people right
1: yeah well I've, I've sort of felt that that there's i've I've been thinking a lot about mental health recently, but um I think this applies to metabolic health and overall health as well but yeah yeah you know, I think there's sort of three pillars that we completely must must sort of medicine the first is that Prevention is cure, yeah. And so, we can build robustness through exposure to stress, yeah. Um, and um, things that help us to recover from stress: but um, diet, uh, physical activity, sleep, uh, friends. You know, fitness is medicine. Friends are medicine. Food is medicine. Sleep is medicine. All those things. So, and, and when you look at the investment in public health and public mental health and those things. It's it's nothing. Yeah. So that that, that, that major pillar doesn't even exist. Yeah. So we're not even we're not even attenuating the robustness of the species and then the second thing is if we've got a workforce that can even attend to those things use those things both in a preventive manner and a a therapeutic manner, people already have those issues and the answer is no, we don't even train any of that stuff, it's sort of behavioural change and it's a health coaching model where it becomes very much about uh, working on people's agenda and helping them to the solution, but with your own knowledge. And that's why we've sort of really worked hard with health coaching and now mental health coaching. I mean, we we'll never train enough psychologists or no. psychiatrists. It takes years to train them. Yeah. And we, 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 New Zealand as an example. We have 1,300 active registered clinical psychologists who are involved in treatment. Yeah. And, you know, that treatment gap, we would need 10 times that amount. Yeah. There's no chance. So we have to just think differently there. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing that I think we can do better in both metabolic health and uh, mental health is, is compassionate care in the community. I mean, the, the mental health things that I've been involved with through young people I know, you're not ringing the police on your son or your daughter mm. or your mum uh, or your friends to help solve this problem. Problem. I mean, we're completely. First of all, the police aren't trained for it. They're not doing their normal duties of you know, helping with crime, um, and it's just the wrong place. Why, why we're like a least of formerly rich country. Uh, why can't we like actually prioritise these sorts of things? I mean, uh, the well-being of particular our, our young people is like. Why is that not a priority?
0: And, Grant, do you? I can't think of any country where. Where this stuff is prioritised in the way that you're discussing? No, 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 I didn't think so.
1: No, um, I guess the only thing is you look at where the best outcomes are, and they're not very good outcomes. Uh, something like Sweden, yeah. Um, and I think the only probable reason for that is that they just allocate more percentage of their health budget, yeah, to at least mental health in this case, and some yeah. of more. There is at least an allocation to prevention.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, we just don't do that. I mean, honestly, what we call prevention is things like bowel cancer screening and yeah. uh, skin cancer screening uh, and breast cancer screening, and those prevent bad outcomes. But you'd, what you, what? it's not preventing disease, you're detecting disease. Yeah. It's not prevention.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. only
1: detection. Yeah. So, I mean, it's completely the wrong word. I'm not decrying the importance of that. I'm not really an expert on those things, but, you know, um, it's not prevention.
0: No, I appreciate. Um, and just FYI, the coddling of the American mind, uh, <laughs> Jeff... Lukanov and Jonathan Haid.
1: Yeah, Haid? and actually you can also just, if you don't want to buy the book, um, there's some great YouTube interviews on there, and sort of uh, we're having a discussion about it yesterday. <laughs> Part of the problem with these books is you go, oh, that's really interesting, should I buy it? <laughs> um, or should I just go and listen to a podcast with the authors and um, I can do that right now for free and actually often get more insight. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, you can just do that. But The Coddling of the American Minds are really um Interesting idea, and it's not just about America, although America arguably is, you know, I don't know about the if it's possible for the species to devolve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but are you suggesting that I, I don't if know. I'm just, there was? I don't know,
1: I'm just putting it out there, but yeah, you, know, you yeah. walk around any of these resort areas. Um, and if they're not an athlete, it's, yeah. not, it's not pretty.
0: Well, I tell you what, Grant, what we're describing with those books that we acquire yet do not read, they might sit beside our bed. There's, yeah. a, there's a word for that, a uh, Japanese word, called sundoku, starting with a T.
1: Uh, okay, and what does that mean?
0: It means that it's acquiring reading materials, but letting them pile up in one's home without reading them, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what we described. Oh my goodness! Hey, um, now I do want to talk to you about Matt Kerr, your athlete. But before I do, you highlighted something, or you mentioned something, which I just want to circle back to, which is your you noted a change in your incidental activity, which potentially which contributed to your um, weight gain earlier this year and I the reason why I want to sort of circle back on that is because I think this is an area which a lot of people aren't even cognizant of like they know yeah, that they're now yeah. working from home as opposed to working at work or they're having this sort of shift there but they've gained weight and I can't quite figure out why it's so many people uh, don't appreciate that though that's minor change in incidental activity actually makes a big difference over length of time
1: yeah so when I'm Normally been living in Auckland, uh, which I'm not at the moment. Uh, then I would accumulate a lot of activity because I have set up my life that I have to bike to and from work. There's half an hour each way. Um, luckily, where my research centre is, it's a high performance sports facility. There's like three swimming pools, a track, a gym that I get a free membership to, and all this stuff. So I actually end up just doing stuff. Yeah. Um, there's other events on. I don't know. I just set it up. I just like to do it that way, and it works pretty well. And it, I think the thing in the keto and the low carb community, which I've been quite a big part of, they tend to dismiss the value of activity and exercise. It's like it's yeah. not about the calories, and um, it's about you know managing the macros. Um, and there might be some truth to that, you know, depending on how insulin resistant you are. But actually, um, there's an energy output. Yeah, as well, and I I've tended to be very active.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and have a reasonably high input as well, and I, I like living that life.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: But yeah, to 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 change one and the other both at the same time seems to be something that's beyond my ability sometimes. So yeah, sort of I'm not not saying I'm trying to exercise my way into shape, but I think it's in my lifestyle that uh, in and out demand is something that people do need to think about because eventually calories do count
0: yeah do you know and i think my over the last couple of years i've been more interested in the physique science space yeah. and following people who you know eric helms and oh yeah, those uh, are gurus
1: those guys yeah gurus
0: yeah because they are right because they've got it down to a fine art in terms yeah. of the amount of sort of calories you need to expend and, and take in and and things like that which is well beyond what the average person needs to worry about but it does make you more aware that actually you know if you do go from that active lifestyle to um to sort of doing 2,000 steps a day because your office and and home are now one that's going to account for change even if you haven't changed your food intake and particularly if you haven't
1: yeah you're 100% right and I it's really interesting with these aesthetic sports I mean as a you know as a Triathlete enthusiast, coach, you know, former pro triathlete, and someone who's really into the endurance community. You look at aesthetic sports and you just turn your nose up and go, What the hell are these idiots on about? You've got new people for real. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But actually, uh, if you want to find out from the edge about how nutrition affects metabolism and weight and fat, then these guys are next. Level,
2: yeah, because
1: they live this stuff, yeah, uh, and like anyone, they do stuff like us in the endurance community. We do stuff that no other human would do because they think it's stupid, yeah, and they may be right, uh, but the same applies to the aesthetic sport community. They they do things that they just push the limits, and this is really the beauty of science in this area. Yeah, I think you can do animal models and all this stuff, but there's no substitute for humans' work, and and these athlete models, aesthetic sports or endurance sports, or whatever it is, they. they they'll do stuff that other humans won't do and you learn so much. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. Um, So, Grant, if we shift gears to Matt Kerr, because I'm really interested and I was chatting to Rob before Rob and I um, uh, recorded our wearables podcast, I just, you know, we actually, we ended that podcast talking about the idea of being fat adapted as a way to, Uh, sort of change your glucose utilisation in hot environments. We sort of ended our talk on that, and I said to Rob, oh, I'm definitely wanting to speak to Grant about Matt and the approach that you've taken with him, because you've been coaching him for a couple of years now, right?
1: Yeah, so this guy, Matt Kerr, uh, was a CrossFit athlete. Yeah. And I only met him through the local surf club, and he was sort of helping coach my two boys through this uh, surf club training camps and stuff they would go on. Yeah. Uh, and it was sort of cross-orientated, which annoyed me a bit for a start. But the, uh, I sort of saw potential in him. He's, he's a very focused sort of young guy. Yeah. Um, he doesn't, his logistics, and he just doesn't leave stones unturned. And, you know, Triton really is a logistics sport. There's a lot to organise and, you know, many layers to get right. And, you know, it's not so much about toughing it out as, as you know, getting everything as everything good or, you know, in the sort of glass half empty, making the less amount of screw-ups possible yeah uh and so i sort of said oh why don't you get have a go at the sport and in fact i've got all this equipment because i'm not really doing this stuff anymore i'll give you like these couple of carbon bikes i've got a trainer you know i just got all my stuff
0: yeah Um, amazing so was he looking to do something different
1: yeah just looking to do something different and he's already a good swimmer yeah um run a little bit i've never ridden a bike before it was four years ago and so sort of and he was just munching down the carbs. And he did the 70.3 Taupo, and did it right. Yeah. First race. And he was going to go through and do the Ironman uh, in New Zealand. So the 70.3 is in early December and the Ironman's in March, sort of three months later. And I was like, hey, you know, could I convince you to come up to the lab and we'll do some metabolic testing on you? Yeah. And it's like, okay. So got him up there and, you know, that people don't know you get, get you on a, I think we did it on the bike actually. Uh, put you through, you know, put the power up and up and up until you can't, you know, it's a VO2 max test. So it's maxing you out. And you've got the respiratory exchange equipment over your nose and mouth and you're breathing in and out. And it gives you all those sort of figures about, you know, ventilatory thresholds and lactate thresholds and all that stuff and your VO2 max, all very interesting, but you know, superficially useful. Uh, but what I think was the most interesting thing is the respiratory exchange. Ratio, which gives you a, a amount of fat that they can burn, amount of carbohydrate they burn at various exercise intensities. And so you end up with a thing called Fat Max. And it's a maximum amount of fat you can oxidise. Yeah. And so for him at that point uh, in the sport for six months, down don't know, 17.3 I'm third in his age group or something. Yeah. Uh, he was burning 0.51 grams a minute of fat.
0: So how does that um, compare to your general athlete and then potentially someone who is well fat adapted? Well, that's about
1: so... what most people would do. And yeah. so when you work that out, um, you're probably providing about 400 calories an hour yeah. at your best from fat. Yeah. and. You know when you consider that you're racing at about twelve hundred calories an hour okay you've got to find the other 800 from somewhere else and the only other somewhere else is glucose yeah and so the the trouble with that and, and he could do that at one hundred and sixty five watts, which is also not very much power, so he'd be going pretty slow yeah at, at more like what he would be racing at at that stage, which was about two hundred forty watts, um, yeah, he was his fat oxidation had plummeted even further, so he was almost exclusively burning carbohydrates so Yeah, over four hours with some of the half, the 70.3 distance uh, with a bit of pre carbohydrate loading, um, solid consumption of carbohydrates through the event. You can just get there without running out of muscle and liver glycogen, yeah. and you can work this out on a spreadsheet. It's pretty easy. You don't have yeah. to be any sort of mathematician to just work it out. Yeah. Um, but if you extrapolate that to the sort of nine or probably ten hours it was going to take him for the Ironman, yeah, you could see what I think you observe on the race course on the day that that he would run out of glycogen, yeah, um, before the end of the bike, yeah, no matter how much he ate, yeah, and it basically would have bonked, uh, hit the wall, or in you know more technical terms, run out of liver in muscle glycogen, he's just going to shovel home and pain, and and that's ninety percent of the field in these Ironman events.
2: Yeah.
1: So the question is, can you change fuel utilization? Yeah. To a way that preserves glycogen, and I think you know you try and look at different sports, unless for these ultra endurance ones like Ironman.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: To me, the the major limiting factor is glycogen availability. Yeah. You can only eat it at a certain rate. Yeah. And you've only got a small reservoir to start with. Yeah. So I just put him on a keto diet for the couple of weeks until Christmas. Yeah. He suffered badly. In fact, he set his kitchen on fire. Oh Jesus! Because uh, <laughs> 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 um, he was, you know, just not functioning. Yeah. And, but then he, he came right, and we, we started to do some, uh, also some faster zone two riding and running. So a yeah. long ride each week, which we started in just a couple of hours. Yeah. And built up to five out five or six hours. Um, in the long run, which started maybe an hour, and you would up at two and a half hours.
0: Yeah, where, where he was able to do it without taking on board fuel.
1: Yeah, we just start fast at no breakfast and just, yeah. just have some electrolyte through it without uh, calories. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's a tough ask. And you're trying to do zone two training, so you're trying to keep his heart rate down in that easy yeah. zone two. And then I measured him just before the race again, and he had moved his fat oxidation from 0.51 five i say, uh, grams per minute to 1.1 grams a minute. Nice. And he was now doing this at 265 watts rather than 165. Oh, wow. Um, which is about what he's going to race at. So, yeah.
0: So what year was this? Was this 2020 at the time?
1: It's like 2019.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then he was actually able to do a really good Ironman. He never bonked. Uh, did 922 for his first. Race, which is a great result.
0: Yeah, would Uh, would that have won the age group race for him?
1: It won his. No, he didn't win the age group race overall. Yeah, Um, but he won his. No, I don't even think he did that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he did pretty well. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I mean his run wasn't fast. He was like three seventeen or something, and uh, his bike was solid, and probably his biking equipment. Dan Plews gave us a. We got a bike off him, we bought off him, but actually it turns out, I think Dan agreed, actually it wasn't a very good bike at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Dan was protecting his own age group Yeah, well, I know, Dan had finished yeah.
1: by then. So uh <laughs> well, Because Dan, as people don't know, we had just become the overall age group world champion at Kona in 2018. That's but right. But sort of retired pretty much straight after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so was getting rid of some of that equipment, so we got that off him. But anyway... Uh, what was interesting over the next couple of years, we just continue with that approach as that being the major limiting factor. So we continue to work on fat oxidation as our priority. Yeah. In tra- and zone two training. And we're a big fan of Phil Maffertone's math- method and, and yeah. all that sort of low stress stuff. Yeah. Um, Do you
0: guys work on the sort of 80, yeah, 20 type b- of Yeah. Be,
1: be something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and sometimes even more than that, right? So yeah. more of zone two than that. Uh, But yeah, really a view that if you're oxidizing fat as a primary fuel source, uh, you can do that faster. That's great. Um, It's low stress for reactant oxygen species and inflammation, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, And when you do the 20%, then we sort of talk about a right time, right fuel.
2: Yeah.
1: And so we're not anti-carbohydrate here by any means. So for for those 20% of of the work that we're working at a higher intensity, we'd be having carbs either during the session or pre-session. Yeah, um, to f- to fuel those sort of glycolytic pathways. Yeah, but anyway, I think you know over that two year period, I think we ended up moving him to uh, his maximum fat oxidation was now one point eight grams per minute.
0: Awesome.
1: Uh, and that was at, th- at three hundred watts.
0: Yeah, amazing. Uh, and that's
1: just next level, right? And, yeah. And so actually, you know, if riding at three hundred watts, which is extremely fast, that's as good as some of the better pros. Yeah. He's he's you know still burning a lot of fat. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't even have to eat the full amount of carbohydrate to make the event at that speed.
0: So can you do the math for us on that, just because it's not my strong? So it, I, and it's yeah, okay. I think it's
1: something like a, getting um, 950 calories uh, an hour from fat yeah, at amazing. race pace. Yeah, Yeah, uh, um And, you know, if he's racing at 12, 1300, yeah. yeah, there's a gap there still. Yeah. But actually, yeah, he's got some of that. Already inside him, and as long as he's taking some extra carbs, yeah, um, he's he's probably going to be fine.
0: So, what kind of carbohydrate intake would he have then? Um, what do you look to replace?
1: Like about thirty, forty grams an hour, uh, an hour.
0: Yeah, so about one hundred and twenty calories. Yeah, yeah, 120 yeah It's not heaps, a year. but
1: then you start to shovel a lot more than... You get other risks and...
0: The GI stuff that we were just yeah, listening to?
1: Yeah, I'm not, I think that might be a bit overplayed, but yeah, who wants to go down, the, you know, if you're yeah. going to run into that problem, yeah.
0: Well, that sounds a lot like Zach Bitter, actually, and I know that Matt yeah. was just on Zach's podcast a few weeks ago, Human Performance Outliers. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Zach has figured out that with his events, and he's running, you know, high-intensity like high yeah. 12 hours... Um, he's settled on about that 40 grams of carbs an hour, I yeah. think. Understand. and lady, He
1: just seems quite comfortable at like that. He never bonks, so it's like... Yeah. Um, and I suppose also the other thing is that the further you get into the run, probably emptying and absorption. I don't know how you study this particularly, but I assume it slows down.
0: Compromise day. Just the intensity. As soon when the intensity ramps up from yeah. fatigue, even if it, the intensity is the same, your fatigue, yeah. it's going to play a real factor in your gut yeah, function, sure. the ability to take stuff yeah. on. Yeah, well, so, awesome.
1: so so we've been working with Matt on that. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in, you know, in the last couple of years, he's got really quite good. So uh, basically every event he's gone and he's broken the age group course record by a bit. He did 8.27, I think, in uh, Man New Zealand, which is pretty quick for an age group it's athlete. It's amazing. Uh, he won the overall age group race at Ironman Triathlon World Championships earlier this year in Utah. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I mean, he's preparing for Kona now. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't there's other limiting factors in Kona. Yeah. So, you know, glycan glycogen availability be one thing and it will affect people. Yeah. Um, you, you made some interesting comments before about the heat alluding to the heat. Yeah. That um perhaps you burn more carbohydrate in hotter weather. Yeah, yeah. Uh and I've been trying to investigate that. And I talked to um Ed Mulder, Dr. Ed Mulder, who's a lecturer at AET who specializes in that. Um yeah, yeah. And they've got quite good data on that. And they're saying, yeah, you do for the same output in the yeah. heat versus the cool, you you burn more carbohydrate. Yeah. Um, but for the same effective load, which I guess if you didn't manage it by heart rate, yeah, then there's no difference because, you know, it just requires more work yeah. in the heat to produce the same so result.
0: so if it's the same effective workload, that therefore means that you'd probably have to drop that workload. Yeah,
1: there. and whether people are prepared to do yeah. that, and something like Hawaii is another yeah. thing, and so maybe it, it, the demand is even more so.
0: Yeah, because that's what Rob, Rob talked about as well with regards to yeah. figuring out power output at a given heart rate, and then that power would just have to be a little bit lower for, for most athletes.
1: Yeah, the thing is with Hawaii, though, it also depends... Like training is a little bit different than the racing and yeah, the conditions might vary and also the thing yeah. is uh how effectively you can hydrate, um, particularly on the bike, is a massive factor. Yeah. Um, and so I think we've been pretty careful about that in leading up to this, but Matt's got quite a high sweat rate, which worries me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think the maximum you can get down is a couple of bottles an hour. Yeah. But but I think that's two thirds of the hydration and cooling, but the other third that's available in this this race is that um, is to they, is to get cold water and get it um, on your head down your front yeah um, you know, while you're riding yeah uh, and then we've been experimenting quite a lot with uh, ice in the hands while yeah. you're running as a cooling mechanism that, that, that that's the other layer in this event is, yeah. um, you sort of look look at limiting factors I think for a normal temperate. Ultra endurance race, glycogen availability is a thing um, for Kona. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a factor, but actually it's hydration and cooling. Yeah. Um, And those are potentially life-threatening.
0: Yeah. Uh, And were you on that sodium front? Because you and I sort of chatted about that because you know I love the element. Did you try that element, by the way? I haven't tried
1: it yet, but I I should have. Well, maybe I wouldn't have got dropped. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because it's got about a gram of sodium in a sachet. Which is much higher than other products, which most of the other ones you can buy off the shelf tend to be about 250 milligrams for a serve. Yeah. Which means that's about what you'll get down in an hour. Um, We did quite a lot of testing with Matt around sweat rates and sodium loss, and they estimate his, you know, when he's heat adapted, his sodium loss to be around a gram an hour. Yeah,
2: it's significant.
1: Um, And I think actually what we'd noticed is in a couple of races, I mean, he still won them, but mainly because he was so far ahead, but he was getting to the sort of 26, 28k mark in the run and he was just getting these wild whole body cramps like his muscles in his little finger yeah. through to his forearms, through to the actual big muscles like the quads and the hammies were just fully cramping and he had to sort of stagger home 10 steps at a time, which was pretty ugly. Yeah. And I sort of quite a lot of advice around that and a lot of the advice was like, oh no, this is fatigue related, electrolysis mm. sodium got nothing to do with it. Uh, and then I'm going, well, if you're losing a gram of sodium an hour in your sweat um, and you're out there eight hours, surely that's going to end badly. Yeah. Uh, and so we've been, we've we just went and bought these salt tablets off Amazon. You, know, you buy a thousand of them for 30 bucks or something. Nice. One gram salt tablets. Yeah. Um, and just, you know. Using those. Yeah. And they've been effective so far, but I'll you know, let you know after the weekend as well.
0: Yeah, because I, when we chatted, I was chatting to you about how with my clients who can't act, I mean, the element's not cheap. Yeah. Um, and, and also, it's difficult to get a hold of some, you know, it can take weeks to get yeah, to New right. Zealand, for example. Yeah. Um, but having a, um, putting like half a teaspoon of salt. Yeah. In a liter of water, which yeah. is essentially the same thing, about a gram of sodium. Yeah, just correct. over a gram of sodium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what it
1: works out to be? About half a teaspoon of salt. Is yeah, because it's right? two
0: point four grams of sodium is in a teaspoon. So okay. you could just like add that to your little tab yeah. or just under, and then that would probably equate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And the other thing that I I, I used to do, in I was an athlete, I got this idea of Mark Allen at the time, who was a pro racing rider, who was the six or seven time Ironman world champion, he'd get these same salt tablets, and they're not. Capsules—they're like little chelated, you know, those sort of pills. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can suck them, and they taste salty. Oh, I like that. Um, which is interesting. Um, you put them in your mouth, you know, at the start of the, I and mean, they taste disgusting. You sort of spit them out. Yeah. But you get four or five hours into, them and you put this in your mouth, you're like, mm, yum, uh, and, and, and you suck them until they taste salty, and you spit them out. Matt doesn't do that; he just takes them. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's another approach. It's sort um, of go with homeostasis by taste.
0: Yeah, no, I like that, Grant. <laughs> and uh, you, what we would. You talked, oh, the whole cramping thing is interesting, and you you talked to me about that on our run yesterday actually yeah. about the the difference between it being a neuromuscular issue and actually something else. Can you just sort of talk oh well, I was that?
1: Just, you know I think there's a fatigue related cramp i am absolutely sure of that yeah I mean the most obvious example to me is as an irregular but keen swimmer yeah um, you know who has been a reasonably good swimmer, so I can do all my flip turns and you know really push off strongly with the, my, my feet and get into that uh, Hyperextended position. Yeah, um, I just get to about one and a half k's of swimming, and I get these ridiculous plantar fasciitis foot cramps. Yeah, and it's fatigue related. Yeah, Uh, there's no doubt about that. So, you know, no amount of sodium is going to help help that. Yeah, Um, but I think that's very different from the sort of cramps that we've been seeing with this, which are you know full body type things that seem to be electrolyte placement. I think the trouble is you look at the literature on cramping, which I have done. and it's actually pretty pathetic and i mean I'm not saying it's pathetic because the researchers are pathetic. It's just like how do you study and yeah. this intermittent random phenomena that that um, is actually pretty debilitating. You can't do studies where you sort of induce it very easily. Yeah. Um, if you do, is that ethical? So yeah. you know, I think the field suffers from that probably.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I appreciate that. Um, and finally, Grant, can I just ask you about Matt's sort of training nutrition outside of the sort of strategic carbohydrate? What are, what other things does he? Oh, I'm going to think, I mean, I think it's
1: really a. Uh, I can tell you quite a lot about this. I've been living with for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of fasted training, just because it's first thing in the morning, have a coffee. Yeah. So a typical day is they wake up about 5.30, um, we just have a chat and a coffee. Um, maybe some maybe cream in his coffee, that's the only calories. Yeah. And we get out and train. Yeah. Um, I think probably most of those earlier sessions are going to be zone two type training, so they just happen. Yeah. Um, plenty of fluids, some electrolyte, sodium. Get back, um, you probably immediately smash a... I don't know this sort of blueberry type smoothie seems sort of has, but it's probably what I've seen him take is like almond milk, yeah. some blueberries, some um, protein powder, a bit of ice, and just get some calories in, yeah, you know, with a few carbs, but protein and a bit of fat as well, and just immediately have that. Um, and then when he feels like eating, he'll probably uh, make some sort of omelet type thing with heaps of veg and plenty of eggs and. Cheese and that stuff, um, then it might move into lunch, and that would typically just be leftovers from the night before, which will be some sort of protein and veg, yeah. And um, they might go for an afternoon session, there might be some carbs added to that, yeah.
0: Is that Uh, generally the higher intensity? Yeah, I think
1: probably I I sort of feel you're better prepared for that at that time of the day, right? Yeah, uh, if, if you're doing that sort of work, um, and then just going to dinner, which would be I don't know, just Protein of some description, whether it's meat, fish, chicken, curry, uh, collie rice, heaps, heaps, and heaps heaps of veggies. Yeah, I mean, I think actually he's been trying, he'd make the food and I'd be eating it. Yeah, in the same proportion as him, which is ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, nonetheless, and then he would probably have another, seemingly have that dinner. Yeah, um, and that would turn into a second dinner. I don't know, like. Of the leftovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, yeah. because, because the calorie intake is so high. So, I mean, that's, it's just a whole food yeah. diet. There's no magic to that, really. Yeah. Um, there's not too many pills or potions or that yeah. sort of thing. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Sweet, Grant. Well, um, outside of that, I was, of course, my original plan was to talk to you about sort of the conference uh, curriculum and, and what we're learning and what we're not learning here, but probably not a lot to discuss on that front. No, I,
1: I haven't really gone except for the free breakfast. <laughs>
0: exactly. And, yeah, and then the morning teas. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I can tell you probably we're not missing too much. I mean, it's enjoyable. I enjoy the, the sort of the environment and sitting in a conference and hearing people talk. You get a couple of gems, but not too different from last year yeah. or, the, or two years ago when I yeah. was last year.
1: Hey, the other thing that we've been discussing, just to, go to circle a little bit back to what we originally said with this choose your hard yes. thing, uh, I, 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 I actually thought this when I was about 20, I was going, oh, look, if you're going to have a low performance life, it seems still to be quite a lot of work, like you have to work, still have to go to work and work hard and generally <laughs> you're doing it on someone else's terms Yes, and people seem less happy with that. Uh, and a high performance life, you generally get better pay. You seem to be able to do it on your own terms and everything. The, the kicker is, of course, you have to do more work right at the start. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on balance, they're probably at least about the same amount of work. And, and the low performance one might even be more work. Yes. And so my rationale at that point was on the basis of pure laziness, you know, might as well choose the high performance life. Yeah. Um, and I, I reckon there's still something in that. I, I don't know. So just putting that out there, you know, like that 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 there's there's difficulty in everything in life. Yeah. Um and, and it's not a course to shy away from, it's actually good fun. Um, but you know, if you can choose which ones do you want to be hard. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to have the environment, and you've got those choices. Um, yeah, you know, choose your hard. That's yeah. my one for the day. Even if it's on the basis of pure laziness.
0: I love that, Grant, and I was thinking about that as I was running along in my last two kilometres, thinking, this is hard work, and I'm like, what would be hard work anyway? Yeah. And how great it is that it's hard work in Hawaii, called to seven in the morning, living my best life, running intervals along Ali Drive. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Cool, Grant, thanks
2: for that. Thank you.